Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio today. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, and I'm very excited about our guest today. Today, we have with us Shannon Falconer. She's the CEO of Because Animals. Now, I met this company at Global Pet Expo several years ago, and it has been on my radar as one of the most exciting companies I've ever met at Global Pet Expo, and I'm going to tell you why. But before we jump into that, let me tell you a little bit about, about Shannon. She's not only the CEO of this amazing company, but she's also a scientist, a beautiful scientist at that. And she's got a background in cell culture and all kinds of stuff. And, and she, you know, started because animals, because their goal, their mission is to make the most sustainable and nutritious food for dogs and cats on the planet without ever harming any animals or the environment. So I'm excited for you to hear about this. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio, Shannon. Thank you. Thanks so much, Molly, for a really, really, probably that was the warmest welcome I've ever received. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I've just, I mean, I couldn't stop talking about your company for weeks after we met at Global Pet Expo. So I think everybody in my circle got tired of hearing about it, but, but basically, you know what, and, and what I did was actually, we carry on our store, your probiotics and superfood for, you know, for cats. So um, we've had that product in. And of course, what I've really been interested in is your, you know, your lab grown meat. So tell everybody, let's just start with, with what that is. What is cultured meat? Yes, great question. Um, so cultured meat is, is, is meat. So it is not a meat alternative. Cultured meat is meat that is grown in an alternative way. So rather than actually raising and slaughtering an animal for their meat, we instead, in a one-time scenario, have taken some cells from an animal. In our case, it was some mice um, that we, we adopted uh, from, they would other, otherwise have been used for research purposes. So we took some cells and then they're now living with one of our, our scientists in a, in a mouse house in her home. And with those cells, we then use those as basically the basis to grow all of our all of our meat or all of the tissue that we need um, for all of our future products that contain ma- uh, contain cultured mouse. So from those cells, we can culture different types of meat. So we can culture, for example, um, fat cells or muscle cells or different types of organ cells. Um, So yeah, essentially, rather than, um, if you think about it this way, in inside of an animal, these cells are growing because they're receiving vitamins and minerals and nutrients from the animal. Uh, in our case, these cells, we, we grow them inside of a bioreactor, which is just, it's a vessel, um, same way you would grow probiotics, for instance. So this vessel that's warm and allows for gas exchange in an animal, this would be a womb. 
Um, but for us, again, this bioreactor, and then, and then we add to that bioreactor um, a mix of different vitamins and minerals and all of those nutrients that would otherwise be inside of an animal, they are now in that bioreactor feeding the cells. The cells are dividing, they're growing, and ultimately we harvest the yield. So that is, you know, that collection of cells. And then eventually we, we blend those cells together with other ingredients to make uh, for in the, in the very near term, it's our cultured mouse cat treat. And eventually it will be a nutritionally complete food for cats as well. And so just to make sure everybody's clear, you're not, you're not um, cloning mice. You're not growing embryos and then no. harvesting that, right? So we're not talking about a a live animal here that's been grown in a lab at all, just oh, no, the meat no. product, right? Exactly. Yes. No. Um, so that was a, a one-time, um, it really is. It, it, the amazing thing is it's just in that one-time instance where you take cells from an animal and that's it. We don't ever go back to that animal or any animal. Um, and we can continue to grow those cells. Uh, well, basically daughter cells of those cells and, and so on, but we can continue to grow those cells in perpetuity. That's amazing. And, and I hear all the time from listeners, well, I'm a vegan, I'm a vegetarian, and, you know, I feed my cat raw. And of course, you know, I really have a problem with the pet food industry as, as you do for, mm -hmm. for similar reasons. And, you know, I hate dry kibble. That's like the worst thing in the world that ever could have been invented for cats in particular. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and so I really tell people, look, if you can just at the very least get your cat on canned cat food, a good quality canned cat food, that's mm -hmm. the best thing you can do. And I feed my cat raw rabbit, which, mm -hmm. you know, I believe is a, a obviously a, a natural prey for a cat. And, mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I, I use primal raw rabbit nuggets, but but I'm a vegetarian most of the time. <laughs> I have a very carnivorous husband, so sometimes I have to I have to join him in that. <laughs> but but I'm vegetarian, and I was like, back in the day, way before there was commercially available raw cat food, I would order you know ground rabbit from a, a farm in New Jersey and add all the egg yolks and psyllium husk and you know oh. fish oil and things like that to it, and home make my raw. And just handling that meat in that manner was was nauseating, just oh, absolutely I nauseating. I and, I, and I have clients that, you know, that just can't do it. And they really want to feed their cats a vegetarian diet, which is also probably worse than dry food in a lot of cases because they're not getting those nutrition nutritional components that they need. So this is super, super exciting. And so now... I'm sure everybody is at this point in the podcast Googling because animals trying to order your food. And so you're only doing mouse meat cookies, right? Which is a, a treat, not a, not a whole food now. And I, and I've read a little bit about, of course, the scaling aspects of your plant, how, you know, to, to actually make a full food, but tell me a little bit about the, the approval process. Cause AFCO has to approve pet food like our FDA arm. And how are they going to wrap their heads around the fact that this, this isn't coming from a, a meat source byproduct or otherwise? And we'll talk about that in a second too. 
Yeah, no, um, yeah, another great question. So AFCO, so conventionally, normally when any kind of company is interested in bringing a new, um, a new ingredient to pet food, they would either go through basic, more or less one of two routes, which would be an AFCO petition. Um, and the other would be to obtain FDA grass status. So, uh, and, and by going the route of FDA grass, um, you, you sort of sidestep AFCO entirely because uh, FDA, it's, as you know, it's a very complicated sort of structure. Um, the FDA ultimately is, is the um, body that governs pet food, but they're a stakeholder within AFCO and AFCO is this almost pseudo regulatory body. So it's complicated and, um, and, and frankly a bit strange, but um but of the two paths, so AFCO petition versus FDA grass, we will or would have gone the FDA grass route. Now, that said, um, more recently, because although Because Animals is currently the only company that's working on cultured meat for pet food, still, I, I, I keep, I wake up every day and I think, when's that next company? Because it's um, mm-hmm. a great application of mine. But um, nonetheless, we are still the only ones. Um, and so where, uh, sorry, let me back up here. Um, so basically what we're, because there are so many other human companies making um, cultured meat for human food, uh, of course, the FDA and the USDA, um, who both jointly govern, uh, regulate food in the US, and, and in particular, um, the USDA meat for humans, um, they, have, they have come up with some preliminary ideas as to how cultured meat will be regulated for humans. Um, so the FDA has issued, um, they have they have set out sort of some very, very rough terms. And, and basically, they've just said, you know, we will be governing um, cultured meat for animal food. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that would be, yeah, the, the Center for Veterinary Medicine within the arm of the FDA. So they, it's, it's a little, it's still vague um, in terms of what exactly the process will be, whether or not it will be, you know, very much still just that standard grass, um, but they, or it's going to be more nuanced. Um, it, it's still unclear. And I, I think that's, that's totally fair because this is a, a brand new kind of product and, and because the animals is the only one doing it. So um, I think we'll, we'll basically probably, you know, largely carve out that, that path together and, uh, in conjunction with what is happening in the human food industry yeah. as well. And that's mm-hmm. what I was going to say too. I think they've probably had enough experience with with impossible burgers and and things like that and beyond meat that they're they're probably ready for this. So great timing. Are you able well, to I, go ahead. I would just say actually I don't think so with impossible foods and beyond meat um, because they are plant-based products though. True. Um, and they don't include any cultured meat. So actually, it will be those those products are uh, assessed on a on a diff, on a basis that will be quite distinct from um, the companies that are intending on uh, well that are making cultured meat with the intended consumers being humans. So at the moment, there, with the exception of Singapore um, last year uh, granting regulatory approval for a cultured chicken. Um, by um, by one company in particular for the human food arena, uh, with the with that exception, there there has been no other company that's been granted regulatory approval for any product yet. 
Yeah, that's that's just this is going to be exciting. Okay, here's the $64,000 question, right? How long? <laughs> when? Mm-hmm. When can we when can we expect to be able to consumers purchase um, your food product for cats? Right. So, so at the moment, we, ha- we are taking pre-orders for our cultured mouse cat treats. So those treats are, for all intents and purposes, you know, we, we are ready to go on those. Um, they, are, they, ha- they are done uh, from, the, you know, from the full ingredient profile to the packaging, um, but we have not, they are not for sale just yet. Uh, we are still working on some scaling processes. Um, and as well as actually procuring the, the, next, the next stage of funding that we need to actually do this. Um, but for the food, uh, yeah, certainly the, the nutritionally complete cultured mouse, um, realistically, you know, I would love to say, ah, oh, next year, no problem. But it, it will likely be, um, we're looking at a few years down the road for the nutritionally yeah. complete food. Yeah. And you are going to make it a wet food, right? Not a, not a dry kibble. We have the, um, we can certainly and will uh, basically make the type of food that our customers want. Um, so for us, you know, with the, the mission being to take animals out of the supply chain while also supplying the most nutritious food available for our pets. So yeah, that, that definitely speaks to, um, it, it, so what happens with that kind of mission statement is that still the vast majority of people purchasing food for their pets um, and as well as cats is, is a dried kibble. Um, and so w- we need to be competitive with those products because our, because we are, we do exist to actually remove those products from the supply chain, but we wouldn't be, we're not, we understand that. Yeah. Kibble is, especially for cats is really not, is really not an ideal diet. So we would be looking at something if it's not um, just a wet food, uh, it could be something that would be more akin to a dehydrated that then the the pet parent would rehydrate. um, And then it has all of the, of course, the nutrients are already in there. Yeah, good, good. And, and not only, I mean, we're not only talking about, you know, removing animal suffering from here, which is, which is huge and by itself is enough. But in cat foods in particular, and, and when I, I try to get my clients to switch from dry for cats, is that's the worst thing that they could eat. And, you know, the ingredients aren't great. But then when they move to a canned food, there's so many canned foods on the market with byproducts, which are, you know, horrible. Not only is it just the the pieces that we don't eat, you know, the hooves and the beaks and the head and things like that. But it's also the, you know, the four the Ds, of course, the disease, the dead, the dying and the disabled, you know, animals. So it's, it's diseased mm-hmm. organs and things like that. It's, it's nasty stuff. I mean, yeah, there's probably some, some, you know, good nutritional benefits because the cat's going to eat the whole carcass, but the cat is not eating necessarily, certainly not a whole cow or right, you know right. a whole chicken and fish really isn't a, right. a natural food source for for cats which it's hard no. to buy a canned cat food that doesn't have fish in it so and yes. and and you bring up a really interesting point that that's very problematic until you get this food finished but not only are those proteins, I'm talking about this for a minute, a, a huge source of allergens for cats mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and dogs, of course, but this is a cat show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and oftentimes, you know, vets will just dismiss it or 
put cats on some prescription diet, which they hate, and is even worse nutritionally if they go, oh, it's a chicken allergy, which they seem mm-hmm. to be, you know, common, th- their conclusion is, but it's, it's so much more than that. But additionally, you know, you have pointed out that, that these farm-raised animals carry this antibiotic-resistant bacteria, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I want you to tell everybody about that and why should we should be concerned about that. Right. So in the U.S., 80% of the antibiotics that are manufactured by pharmaceutical companies are sold to the animal agriculture industry. And 75% of those antibiotics are actually therapeutically relevant. And what that means is that um, of all of those antibiotics that are made, uh, and 75%, those are given to livestock. And those are also the same antibiotics that are used to, um, to, to, to treat people, uh, infections that people have. And so antibiotic resistance, I think before COVID antibiotic resistance is the CDC. Um, and it probably still talking is still talking about it, but it's been overshadowed by COVID, but the antibiotic resistance is one of the, the world's most, um, uh, devastating health crises that is, that is global. Um, and that is continuing to get worse and is on the, is on the cusp of really, basically where we're at is, is turning into a pre-antibiotic era. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, prior to World War One, for example, um, prior to the discovery of penicillin, which is an antibiotic, when people would get sick just from just, uh, you know, you get a viral infection, but then your system's uh, immunocompromised. So then you just, you just get a, a basic bacterial infection and it kills you because your, your body can't get rid of that bacteria. Um, and so a lot of folks, especially for example, uh, cancer patients who are undergoing any kind of chemotherapy, um, and by necessity, their immune system is ablated. Um, they have no means to, to defend themselves against any kind of invading pathogens, including microbes, bacteria, and uh, without antibiotics, a lot of those patients die, or rather they're given antibiotics, but they actually are infected with a form of of bacteria that's antibiotic resistant, um, Mm -hmm. because these microbes very, very quickly form um, mechanisms to reduce uh, antibiotics. And the fastest way that microbes develop this type of resistance is basically just being repeatedly exposed to these, these antibiotics. And so if we think about this, it really is a numbers game. And if we think about, you know, just the reality of where the vast majority of antibiotics go, um, it is to animal, the animal agriculture industry, it's to farm animals. And, um, and to make matters worse, that the animal egg industry doesn't typically almost very, very rarely actually uses antibiotics to treat an infection in an animal. Rather, what they're doing is they're sort of using these antibiotics prophylactically. So they're Mm. totally widespread. Um, And this gives the bacteria an even greater advantage because they're used at these low levels, which are enough to, there's been observations that actually animals get bigger, they get fatty or sort of fatter. Um, and so it's better for the meat industry because that animal then creates, it, it results in more yield. Mm-hmm. Um, but at these low concentrations of antibiotics, um, these bacteria very, very, these are concentrations that don't kill the bacteria, but these bacteria can then, oh, you know, we're, we're now faced with this foreign substance, we're going to develop a mechanism to resist it. Um, and then of course the, the animal sheds its feces 
Um, and in the feces, I mean, feces is really just a, this collection of bacteria um, and all of these antibiotic resistant bacteria. And then that um, all of that is then that the bacteria, of course, then end up in the water system. I mean, it's totally ubiquitous at that point. Mm. So certainly the animals themselves are harboring antibiotic, antibiotic resistant bacteria. Um, but also, um, you know, even if you're somebody like you, Molly, who say, well, I'm, you know, I'm a vegetarian, I don't eat uh, other animals. Well, um, Unfortunately for you, the vast majority of the world does. Um, and so uh, you drink water. <laughs> and um, so just by virtue of living in a society where other people are participating or encouraging this type of um, practice, you're also susceptible. So, and, and yeah, and so the bottom line is that this is this antibiotic resistant um, microbes are being passed down in the meat. So if you, are, eat, yeah. if you eat a steak, yeah. you're also eating a small amount of of antibiotics, right? So you're you're mm -hmm. getting are the antibiotics passed through to the meat as well? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, there are there are trace levels of antibiotics themselves. Um, so at, there there should be there are practices in place in theory um, where meat is uh, analyzed for antibiotics before it's actually sold, um, and they have to be below a certain detection level. Um, that doesn't always happen though, uh, and below a certain detection level doesn't mean absent right? It just means below a certain, uh, sorry, below a certain level. Um, so, and, and, but then with respect to pet food specifically, uh, yeah, because this is also now we're looking at meat that, you know, when, when folks are feeding a raw diet, um, this meat has not been cooked. So in addition to the actual antibiotics, uh, there's, there are bacteria there that have also, the bacteria are actually there. So um, antibiotic resistant bacteria, never mind just the actual antibiotics, but also the, the, the resistant bacteria are also on the meat. And, and there have been, there was a recent study that actually showed that, um, yeah, raw pet food in particular, um, yeah, it, it's been, it's been found as a source of antibiotic resistant bacteria um, that can then infect both, of course, pets, as well as the, the people who are handling their, their food. Right, right. And so later, down, you know, so you get a kitten and you've grown it up on raw food diet, but later down the line, if it gets an infection and, and needs to be treated with antibiotics, then that they may not be effective is basically what we're saying here, right? That's the challenge, right? So, you know, normally your body uh, under normal healthy circumstances can keep most, most pathogenic bacteria in, in check usually. Um, but if there's some kind of illness that, you know, then your body sort of needs to reallocate resources to deal with something else, uh, or your immune system is just is compromised, then, uh, then the, the, the story changes. Yeah. And so we're not only talking about stopping, you know, harming animals that are that are farm raised and really have poor quality of life and certainly horrible, horrible deaths. But you know, factory farms are horrible on our climate with the methane and, and everything else. And so we're talking about, you know, animal welfare and climate welfare and then the welfare of our own pets, because right now there is no great alternative. You know, I mean, I guess if you if you let your 
pet eat wild mice, but then you've got plague and, mm-hmm. you know, all, all of those other things that you're risking there too. So, mm-hmm. you know, right now, really probably our best alternative is a good quality canned food or a, or a raw commercially available raw diet. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, or, or homemade, again, buying it from farms that, you know, that raise for the pet food industry that don't use antibiotics or things like that. But there really are very few good alternatives to feed our pets right now. So, you know, we -hmm. want you to hurry up. And (laughs) (laughs) clearly funding is a, is a huge issue here for you as, as well as going through that ridiculously complicated bureaucratic red tape that you're going to have to go through. But are you actively seeking investors? And if, and if somebody were interested in supporting your company, what's the best way for, for us all to help you? Yeah, sure. Um, so certainly, um, so becauseanimals.com and we have a get in touch with us uh, form on our, on our website. Certainly, if you are somebody who is interested um, in, in supporting Because Animals mission, whether it's, it's through investment or, or something else, um, you know, whether or not, we are we are always always interested and eager to talk to amazing people who support what we're doing. Um, and um, yeah, send it send us an email uh, through our website. And and I'm going to ask you to send me some of your mouse meat cookies because I'm I also question you know the palatability. I mean, you would think you know what's interesting. Just a little side note here <laughs> is you know I heard that pork was really popular with cats. And of course, I'm thinking, why on earth would pork be popular with cats? They don't eat pigs in the wild. Mm -hmm. And it's because pork tastes most like mouse. Then, Oh, really? Yeah, that's that's what I've been told. I'm thinking, who was that test subject that sat around and and tried that out? (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, that's interesting. I I had never heard that before. So, right. And, and, you know, we don't, we don't know if our cats, certainly our cats raised on commercial foods, really like the taste of mouse because they haven't really had them. You know, it's their natural instinct to hunt anything that moves. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, are they really enjoying that flavor? And is that what really motivates them to go outside and, and catch more mice? Probably not. It's the it's the whole hunt for a cat. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm certain you've done palatability studies with cats on these treats, right? Yeah, well, our palatability studies at this point, um, to be honest, we, so we're not working with any um, any companies that are specifically, well, that are palatant companies. Um, we have a veterinary nutritionist on our team and um, and I'm, uh, I am a scientist by training. And so, of course, uh, like t- the taste is, is very much a science, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, so between, um, between her and myself uh, and, and lots and lots of reading and um, we've, we came up with some, um, some ideas around, you know, what, what we should be doing to ensure, um, you know, certain levels even of, um, of the amount of meat or the components that are in that particular meat. Um, and so, yeah, we, we did some testing, but only, only with uh, actually the cats that are sort of in our immediate circle, like within our, within like company cats, or rather I should say cats that are, um, that are the, the fur children of, of people in our company, um, as well as the friends and family. So, and, and those cats have, uh, have all been very, that we're all very, very happy with our, with our treat, because ultimately, yeah, if this, 
doesn't taste good, then it doesn't matter how amazing our food is on every level. If a cat doesn't want to eat it, then uh, we got to close up shop. So we absolutely like this is a this is a very, very, very big deal for us. So we did um, we did see quite a bit of success with these these early cultured mouse cat treats. But but yeah, moving forward forward for the food, that will be a different story. Um, just in terms of we'll have to approach that differently because um, the, the treats are a baked treat. Um, and if, you know, not producing a kibble, the, the, all of these things make a difference in terms of taste. Yeah. Well, you send me some and I promise you between my cat behavior clients and all the shelter work that I do, I come in yeah. contact with lots of cats every day. So yeah. and I'm always happy to we use them in training. We do clicker training with cats and shelters and you okay. know counter conditioning and things like that. So we're always looking for really great tasting, you know, quality treats that can be that can be used. So I'm happy to be your certainly anecdotal, but, but in a large scale, anecdotal (laughs) palatability test. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Thank you. Well, you know what, I I will take you up on that. Um, So Mm -hmm. now one thing I wanted to, well, two more things I wanted to ask you about, are you able to at least patent the process or so that you have some protection from, you know, other companies jumping in on this market? The main ways that we will um, be able to protect our, our the, the main, um, the IP or the, the intellectual property of the company in, in terms of making this um, cultured meat is really in the, um, the components of the, the media or those that vitamin and mineral mix that's used to grow the, the, the cells. So, you know, making growing tissue um, in a lab or, you know, in a bioreactor is not actually a new thing. You know, scientists have been doing it for many decades now, uh, but they have been doing it for the application of, you know, trying to understand um, what's going on scientifically so they can, um, so that they can come up with better ways to treat disease uh, for humans. So, that's always been uh, the priority for those research scientists was never actually to be able to grow cells in a way that's affordable because nobody was purchasing these cells to eat. Um, so actually the media traditionally to grow cells is very, very expensive and, um, and so expensive that it's actually probably two orders of magnitude more than what is actually required um, for any company to be able to sell it commercially and, and, and have it be affordable. So the main IP for any company in cultured meat, whether or not it's because animals in the pet food space or a human food company is to actually figure out how to um, properly combine all of the nutrients that the cells need at specific concentrations. So, you know, nothing is in excess, nothing is in, um, nothing is there that's, that's not enough. Um, and be able to actually get it all within a formula that's at a, um, a commercial price point. So for us, that's what our, um, when we file our provisional patent around our media, um, and looking to do so close to the end of this year, um, that's largely what we'll be, be protecting. It's actually the formulation of that media. Oh, that's great. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you'll be able to at least get some level of, of protection being first. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yes, we will. For now, sure. it, another thing I wanted to ask you in terms of ingredients is, you, you know, I, I'm always telling people, you know, cats, do not need, you know, certainly not grains, but they don't really need, they don't need any carbohydrates. They don't need fruits and vegetables. 
their their cecum or that little organ that that processes a lot of that is very small. So that's not something that they need in their diet and they can't really digest it. So all the corn and filler type material is, is really just goes in one end and out the other, not something your cat's digesting or getting any nutritional benefit from. However, when they eat a, a raw whole carcass, the pre-digested grains and, and vegetables and things that like rabbits have eaten in their stomach, the cat does get some nutritional benefit from because it's been pre-digested. So their bodies are able to absorb it and actually use that as opposed to it being just put in the food. Mm -hmm. Are you going to be able to simulate, uh, for lack of a better term, <laughs> pre-digested grains in your pet food? Yeah, well, we, we definitely are um, so fermented. Um, yeah, this is a, this is something that we're very, very keen to pursue. Um, and ultimately it really does come down to, so fermented grains. Yeah. If you're, if your cat is eating an animal that's sort of pre-digested them, then, then they're not very expensive. But if you actually buy uh, grains that have been fermented specifically, um, then they are expensive. So we're, we're looking at what our opportunities and, and what our options are to actually um, to include ingredients like that, um, again, at a price point that is uh, that will be commercially viable and affordable for the consumer. Yeah, great, great. All that is awesome to hear. And, mm -hmm. you know, and and, you know, and all the uh, omega fatty acids that we're so used to getting from, you know, from meat. I mean, it's, it's, I'm just so, so, so excited and want to do whatever I can do to help support your mission and get you there quicker, because I, I think, uh, I think we're going to have a lot of consumers for you. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, no. And um, it's something that I forgot to add, and I should just just put the, the fine, not to put a too fine point on it, but actually when we grow our meat, our cultured meat, of course, we don't use any antibiotics or growth promoting steroids that are typically used in animal agriculture. Um, and our meat also very, just by virtue of the way we grow it, um, it contains no bacterial cells, none. So, um, so what that means is that our, our meat actually stands to be not only a more nutritious, but a safer version of meat than is currently available from any kind of animal that's raised and slaughtered. Um, whether or not it's, you know, free range, organic, it doesn't matter. Um, ultimately, yeah, this is, this cultured meat is the cleanest, will be the cleanest and, and, and stand to be the healthiest. Yeah, that's, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm so excited. Now, let's help people know how to find you. So it's Because Animals. And tell us about the name. Why Because? <laughs> right. Um, well, you know, everything that we're doing, you know, when we were, when Josh and I, my co-founder Joshua Era, when we were first trying to come up with a, you know, what we were going to call this company, as I mentioned to you, our mission is, is to both take animals out of the supply chain as well as and feed our pets a more nutritious diet. Um, and so, Really, what we what we kept we came up with lots of ideas, but ultimately, when we when we sat back and said, "Why are we doing this? We're doing it because of the animals, all animals," and and that's when it was just sort of, well, because animals, yeah, because animals, okay, <laughs> <laughs> animals, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. I I love it. Good job. And so it's it's becauseanimals.com, and mm -hmm. I'm sure you're on Facebook, right? And yeah. 
Yeah, we have on our website, we have all of our social handles, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Yes. That's great. So everybody listening, go check it out. This is fascinating. It's it's absolutely fascinating to me from a business model and, and from a you know, social ability model. I mean, this is, this is very, very, very exciting what you're doing. And I can't wait to, like I said, just support you guys in, in any way that I can, because I Thank can you. want you Thank to get this product on the market. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Well, um, yeah, you, you've said it, so I will be following up with, with you. <laughs> and, you know, thinking too about price points. I mean, Right. You know, I, I feed raw, you know, and a lot of people do. A lot of people are, are moving towards that for cats because mm-hmm. they understand, you know, it makes logical sense. This is the closest mm-hmm. to a, a natural diet that a cat can eat. And, and it's not it's not cheap, you know. So, yeah, yeah. you know, if you're committed to feeding your cat the, the best thing that's available on the market right now, then you're spending, you know, a lot more than you would be if you were feeding canned cat food you know, potentially. Right. So, right. so, you know, don't, don't be afraid to, to charge what you've got to charge. It doesn't have to compete with, you know, some of the lower end byproduct full of, you know, brands that are out there. Right. Yeah. No. Um, yes. No, good, good point. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. That is good to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, anything else that I didn't ask you that we should know about you or the company or the products that you have now or things coming down the road? Well, I mean, I think you covered a lot of ground and, and I don't want to take up more time um, from your listeners, but if they, if they are interested in checking out our site, we have a lot of information there. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, certainly we are always very, very happy to uh, receive questions and comments from customers. And, you know, one of the things that we're, we're really working towards is building that really strong relationship with customers before we actually launch the product um, so that we can get all the feedback that, you know, we possibly can so that we actually do launch with the product that we know people really want. Um, uh, yeah, we, we, we don't want to be creating this in a silo. Um, so yeah, very happy to hear from, from folks and your listeners. Yeah. And, and, you know, I failed to mention on, on my side too, you know, I'm focused on behavior because behavior is a huge reason that people surrender their cats to shelters. Yeah. So, you know, our goal is really sheltered diversion, you know, trying to help people with resources before they ever make that decision to rehome their cat. And nutrition plays such a huge role in how a cat feels and how it behaves, you know, starting with what you're feeding, how often you're feeding and, you know, so many things and the quality of the food. And, and as we talked about the, the potential of allergens in there and just, you know, when we eat crappy food, we feel bad and same thing with our pets. And when we feel bad, we get cranky and so do they, (laughs) you know, and it, it, it can be the absolute foundation for so many behavioral issues and, and medical issues to boot. Obviously, a, a cat fed a dry food only diet sooner or later is going to have urinary or renal yes. issues in their yes. life, you right. know, which so, you know, this this really addresses all of that from a behavior standpoint as well. So I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. excited on that level, too. Great. Um, yes, no, and, and I, per, on a personal level, I love the work that you're doing. Josh and I actually, we, we were both longtime, uh, longtime volunteers for uh, Cat Rescue in particular. So yeah, for 
Oh, a good decade. Um, uh, while I was working on my, my PhD and then, and then postdoc, uh, sort of spend my, my days at the lab bench, but my evenings and weekends, um, mostly my, my, my domain was the um, feral cat, so TNR, so the trap neuter release, um, and, uh, and helping cats in um, already feral cats, but who needed medical attention. And so, yeah, it's cats certainly... They have a, a, a very, very tough go of it. Um, that's mm-hmm. for sure. They really mm-hmm. do. And it's, you know, being obligate carnivores, they really do. You know, yes. you, can, you can almost always tell people, you can almost feed your dog out of the garbage. You know, that's it's really okay. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, their they're dogs can eat anything almost, but but cats are, are like a finely tuned Ferrari in terms of, yeah. you know, your your pet's nutritional systems. And, and, uh, and I just, think, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say just a, in um, just a, like your story that just occurred to me as you're, as you're talking about, you know, dogs eating anything. I remember one day when I was, um, I was walking down the street in, in city and there was uh, a couple of they were, I think they were homeless kids and, and they had a cat in a carrier sitting next to them and they were sitting on the street and they, they clearly, um, I had walked past them and then walked past them again a couple of hours later. And I looked at the crate um, and there was no water bowl in there and there was just this cat. And, that, and I, I thought, oh, geez, this is a very, very bad situation. So I, I asked them what was happening with the cat. Is it their cat? Um, and um, they told me that actually they're thinking of bringing it to the shelter. So I said, okay, yeah, I'm happy to, I'm happy to take, take your cat right now. Um, and so um, they had, they said, you know, the cat, there's something wrong and the cat's actually urinating blood. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a mystery what was going on. The, the cat was obviously not being, they said, you know, we don't have very much money. We're just feeding it dog food. So it was, it was clear mm-hmm. what was, um, so I brought the cat home and, um, and as soon as he came out of the carrier, I had a bowl of water and I've never seen a cat drink, you know, cats, they lap some water and then they, they walk away, but I've never seen a cat lap water like a dog. Um, and, and that's what happened. And, um, anyhow, then we went to the the vet and it was of course a urinary tract infection. It was nothing really serious, thank goodness. Um, and we had a really nice, really nice story where, um, the cat was adopted to a home that absolutely was head over heels and a lovely, lovely cat, but, uh, yeah, cats cannot eat anything. That is for sure. No, Um, they can't. And, and, you know, and that story also supports the, you, you can't really feed your cat dry food because it mildly yeah. dehydrates them. And, right. You know, and right. they go, I always tell people that and they go, well, my cat drinks lots of water. And like, yeah, well, instinctively, they don't drink a lot of water. You know, genetically, they've evolved to have a very low thirst drive and they should be right. getting all the moisture they need from the food, but they're right. not because you're feeding them dry food and that's right. why they're drinking a lot of water. And so, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So no, we're definitely, um, we're looking at providing a food that is actually far more appropriate. Um, yeah. From the allergen issue down to the actual water content. So yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's amazing. So I applaud what you're doing and it was delightful having you on the show today and we'll touch base again. We'll have you back as you guys are getting closer and developing things and, you know, you reach out if anything big happens that, that you feel like we need to know about, cause we're happy to have you back anytime. Thank you very much, Molly. I really appreciate, uh, yeah, you taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah. And thank you, everybody who's tuned in and listened today about this amazing woman and this company. And uh, until next time, keep calm and purr on. 
You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend.